0: Hey family church, so good to be with you today. Hope you're all doing well. Um, it's my privilege to share the word with you um, today and and we're going to be carrying on the series that over the past few weeks we've been, uh, been, been kind of delving into and that's that uh, the, the series of Kairos um, for such a time as this. And um, week one, we heard Pastor Andy sharing about knowing the time, understanding the time that we're in, um, you know, looking at the seasons as a natural thing. We're able to understand the, the seasons we are, but knowing the time that we're in um, spiritually. And then in week two, we looked at knowing our position and our purpose, you know, and kind of looking at our position as being people that are set apart. And our purpose is allowing God to fill us and, and to use us in, uh, you know, in, in our world and in, in, in the area where we live. And today I want to carry on with this series. So this is week three, and I want to co- talk about knowing our response. Being responsive to God and the moment we are in is all about being able to react correctly to what God is asking us to do. And throughout the Bible, we have loads of encounters um, with people encountering God, and, and, and we get a glimpse of their um, moment, their Kairos moment, and how they're able to respond to God. When I think of some of these characters, I think of Joseph. You know, Joseph's an incredible character, an incredible story. Um, sometimes, you know, we see it, as oh, it's a great story, but kind of really, really sad in, in some ways as well, but yet finishes so brilliantly. You know, you have this, this young boy, that effectively goes through slavery, is sold, loses his father, feels like life is crumbling all around him. Yet there was a Kairos moment that he came for such a time as this where he then became a ruler of a nation. And I love that story because, you know, sometimes we go through situations and circumstances and we think, what is this all about? Yet there is a Kairos moment where God is gonna bring us to a place where we realize, ah, for such a time as this. And Joseph's response was brilliantly. Brilliantly done. He, 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 he held his own in slavery. He continually stayed close to God and then God brought him through. And the, the, the plan of God was redemption for a whole nation of people. And I just love that. I think of Gideon, you know, Gideon's Kairos moment. There he was um, hiding away and God comes into contact with him and calls him out as a warrior, as someone, and he doesn't even believe it himself. How can this? But yet he stands up trusting God and he sees incredible things break out in his life. He defeats armies um, and just watches the hand of God upon his life and he's able to respond. And a lot of this is by faith, you know? Gideon decided to trust God. And then my favourite of all is David, this young shepherd boy who is tending the sheep of his father's house. And, you know, there's this moment as a young boy, a young man, when his brothers are at war um, with the army of Israel, and he's going to bring supplies to his brothers. You know, kind of never really was expecting what would have happened to unfold that day. Young David is walking uh, towards his brothers and he hears this this warrior of the enemy mocking the the children of Israel, the armies of Israel. And then there's this Kairos moment for such a time as this, that he has this moment where he realizes is this, this is not right. And all the army of Israel is frightened, yet David steps up to the mark and defeats Goliath. Come on, this is amazing stuff. These are moments that we need to take. And, and then there's another character, Nehemiah. And this is the one today that I really wanna kind of draw from because I think there's so much good stuff within the book of Nehemiah, but also around the character of Nehemiah, looking at his life and uh, the things that he went through and how we can apply them to our life today. So Nehemiah, who was he? He was a cup bearer for King Artaxerxes. He lived during the Persian rule and at the time of people returning to Jerusalem after the exile. So after the Babylonian exile, the Persians um, you know, defeated the Babylonians and then they were allowed to go back home. And this is around the time when Nehemiah lived, around the fifth century BC. And Nehemiah asks for a report. There's this moment, as, you know, as the king's cupbearer, he was a privileged man, he, he, wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't just a normal guy, he, he lived in the royal courts. And there was this moment um, where he asked how the children of Israel, or the people of Israel, how is Jerusalem? He, he wanted a, a kind of a report of what was going on there. And this is the response that he got. And we read this in Nehemiah 1, three to four. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before God, the God of heaven. Things ain't looking good in Jerusalem. The response that he got, yes, they're free and the people are returning again once to their place of um, where they were exiled from. But the place is in trouble. It's, it's looking a disgrace, you know. Things aren't looking good. The walls are crumbled. They're probably a bit of an embarrassment to all of their neighbours around them. Things are not looking good. But the response of Nehemiah is brilliant. In Nehemiah 2, 4 to 5, we pick up this response. And it says this, the king said to me, so this is the king that he he works for, the king that he is um, in relationship with. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah's attitude is amazing. You'll see in both parts of the text that I read out then, he always is seeking God first. You know, the minute he finds out the walls are broken, what's his response? To to get before God, to fast and to pray, to seek God. That's the response that we should always have to God, always. And then not even that, but when the king is asking him what, he's, what, what he wants. I love it that before answering the king, he said he prayed to God. And I think that was probably something like this, in his mind, dear God, please make this, give me favor in, 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 in this king's sight right now. You know? And then he, he, he gave the response to God. I love that because it shows his heart was close to God. He trusted God and he put God first in every situation. But you know what he also takes responsibility for the situation. he sees the problem as if the problem was something that he had to sort out, though you know he lived a comfortable life he was the in the in the courts of the king in the palace you know as a as a cupbearer he wasn 't some um you know yes, he served the king, but he wasn 't like a slave in that sense he would have been a noble person, probably a person of of wealth and, and a person of um, who, who, who had great things. You know, he probably had people working under him and he probably had many kind of um, people under him. But you know what I love? He s- decided to step down from his royal position and enter into the city that was broken, a city that was in disgrace, and a city that was in trouble, and decided he would lay out a vision to rebuild it. That's, no, that's knowing how to respond. You know, in such a time as this, our response has to be, to lay ourselves down for whatever God is asking us to do. And the first point that I have when it comes to this from Nehemiah is this. Number one, we are not called to be served, but to serve. We are not called to be served, to sat on our royal throne, thinking people need to do everything for us. Well, no, we're not called for that. We're called to serve everyone around us. Mark 10, verse 45 this is Jesus speaking. The Son of God says these very things. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I love this because this is, this is the Son of God. You know, there's so many parallels with this moment that Nehemiah steps out of the royal courts to come into a broken city. You know, that's the very thing Jesus did for us. He stepped out of the royal courts of heaven and came into a broken world to rebuild a people that were lost and hurt. And Nehemiah carried that same thing. He stepped away from what was comfortable living. He didn't have to go and rebuild that. This didn't affect him, but he found responsibility within himself to have to do this, that it was upon him, that he, such a time as this, this Kairos moment, that he was gonna step up to the mark and stand for the kingdom of God. And we are called as well to do this, to do the same things, to serve the kingdom of heaven, to serve in our generation. Romans 12, 1, a very well-known verse says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Come on, that's a response. That's a real response. In a moment of kairos, in a moment of such a time as this, we need to be willing to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. Not as a lazy sacrifice, but a living sacrifice, something that's moving, something that is willing to press in and lay your own desires and stuff down for the purposes of the kingdom. Another encouraging verse that I find is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. This is the bit I love. You are not your own. You know, I'm saying that to myself as much as I am to you, you um, out there listening, that, that we're not our own. We were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. I love this. We're not called for self-gratification, but we're called to live for the one who give, gave his life for us. That's the first thing I think we need to do. Jesus himself came down and laid his life down for humanity the right response in such a time as this is to say, here I am, I'll lay my life down for the purposes of the kingdom of God. And Nehemiah did this. He got away from what was comfortable living. He put himself in a comfortable, uncomfortable position in front of the king and asked of him something that he didn't know what the response would be. Yet he found favor in the king's sight and was allowed to go back and take up this mantle of going to rebuild the wall. And so the story of Nehemiah is fascinating, because as most of you would have known, in 52 days, the city walls were rebuilt, the gates were rebuilt, and the doors were hung. You've got to understand, you know, often when you say a wall, we picture this classic British garden wall, don't we? Um, or wherever you are in the world, maybe you've got kind of walls in your um, you know, community. We picture these lovely little walls and flowers and stuff. But actually, what we're talking about is a city wall. You know, probably around two kilometers square around a city. I mean, what you're talking about is is 2,000 meters by 1,000 meters. This is is a big wall, and it's around 10 to 12 meters tall and around 2 meters thick. This is no um, easy job. This is no small garden wall where you get a little trowel out and just cement it in a little bit. This is a massive job. Yet, 52 days, it was rebuilt and all the gates hung. You know, and and we're talking not little garden gates, which swing lovely in the wind. We're talking massive, great gates that, you know, would have took a whole heap of people to hang. And what I love is that it wasn't just Nehemiah on his own. He didn't just decide that he was going to go and do this by himself. No, Nehemiah and an army of God's people who stepped forward to say, yes, I'm here to help. And we can read this in Nehemiah 3. Um, and, you, you know, there's so many people in this, in, in, in this one chapter um, in Nehemiah. And I'm just going to pick a few because I think there's some interesting characters in here. So Nehemiah 3.1 says this, Eliashab, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel." I mean, the high priests were involved. You'll see characters all throughout this. It wasn't just like a load of builders that they had hired from the Yellow Pages or some kind of... This was, this was everyone in the, in the, in the community getting involved. The high priests decided to take off their holy garments and their things, and they decided to put on the, 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 the hard work of, of, of manual labor to make this happen. Nehemiah 3, verse 8. You see some other characters here. Uziel, son of uh, Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made the repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. I love this because you've got guys here and ladies here who have got skills, perfume makers, goldsmiths, yet they were put into what they could. Their talents, their gifts, whatever they were able to do, they were able to put towards building and restoring this wall. You know, this perfume maker, she wasn't sat there making perfume. She was putting her hands to the work of the wall, getting stuck in. And I love this because no one is disqualified from the work of God. We've all got something we can bring. Nehemiah 3.12, listen to this. Shalom, son of Halalesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem. This guy's some kind of counsellor or, or some kind of, you know, uh, overseer of a province. He repaired the next, sh- next sections with the help of his daughters. I love this, with the help of his daughters. So it's not just you know, for the adults, the children are involved, and not only are the children involved, it's not just for the boys, it's for the girls, the boys, the women, everyone being a part of, of the work of God. Such a time as this, the response should be as a community, let's go, let's get this done. This one I love as well, Nehemiah 3.13. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zanor. They rebuilt it and put its doors with the bolts and bars in place. Listen to this they also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. You've got to understand, a thousand cubits, um, a cubit is about 18 inches. When you work out these measurements, you're looking at about 450 meters. These guys. Were, were, we're getting stuck in about 450 meters of wall, they were rebuilding, repairing, remaking as a team. Come on, this you can't get this done without an incredible team with an incredible heart of people that says, Here, come on, I'm ready to go. And you can read Nehemiah 3. There is so many um, other kind of characters that are involved within this story, within this picture. Um, and I love it. Because I, the second point that, that I get from this, from this Nehemiah 3, is this. Do your best with the, the gifts that God has given us. Do your best with what God has given you to do. Don't look at others and think, oh, well, they can get it done. They, they're more gifted. No, every one of us has a gift. And you may think, well, I, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible says in Romans twelve six and 8, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, um, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Every one of us brings something to the house of God. Every one of us brings something to the community around us. Every one of us can bring something to the neighbor that may be lost, to the friend in the workplace that may be um, walking away or is in a dark place. Because a word of encouragement can lift a person from the darkest valleys to the highest mountaintops. Yet we think we can't give anything because we physically don't have anything to give. But your words are more precious than gold. Because you can literally cause someone's day to turn around just by speaking life into their hearts, by praying. You say, I've got nothing to give. You can pray for people. You, you know, your response for such a time as this is to pray for revival. God, we want revival on the earth. We want people in our community to turn around. You know, your prayers may be worth more than a million pounds to some people in eternity because it might be your prayer that saves them. Your prayer that lifts them up to a higher place, that causes them to come into contact with the living God, that transforms their life forever. Come on, we can look and think we don't have anything to give, but our words, our prayers, our actions, our hand, just to say hello to someone could mean so much more than anything we ever realized we could. We have to make sure we're using what we've been given for the purposes of the kingdom and not for self-gratification, like I said, Things for us. It's for us to be able to pour out onto others. I love 1 Corinthians um, 12, 12 to 20. It's a long bit of scripture. I'm going to read it because I love what, it, what Paul was speaking about, about how the house or the church or the body of Christ should be. And it says this, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we are all given the spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of, uh, of one part, but of many. And this is true, right? We all know the body is made up of many parts. It's very obvious that. But when we parallel it, uh, parallel it to, to, the, to the house of God, I think it's fascinating. Now, listen, he carries on in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body and if the ear should say because i am not an eye i do not belong to the body it would not for that reason stop being part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing be if the whole body were an ear where would the sense of smell be but in fact god has placed the parts in the body every one of them just as he wanted them to be if they were all one part where would the body be as it is there are many parts but one body and i love this because there are many parts and sometimes we can feel our part is not very good but you know some of the most important parts of the human body are unseen the vital organs that are held within the rib cage are the very vessels that keep us alive pumping blood around our body yet you don't see those things so sometimes we need to realize that just because we're not doing something maybe that's being seen it doesn't mean what we're doing is not important what you what you're doing is before god and and i love this because we need to do the best with what we have before god not before man we're not trying to please and do a performance before man like some kind of hypocrites like like actors like what jesus said the hypocrites do that standing on the street corner performing their their almost spiritual or holy acts before hum- uh, before people no we're doing the best we can our response for such a time as this should be doing the best we can as a member of the body of christ Doing what we've called to do. You know, some of my most m- memorable moments serving God were in my internship, cleaning the toilets. Because it was in that moment when I realized everything's unto God. Everything. There's a joy in doing the unseen. There's a joy because you know what? Your reward is in heaven. Your reward, you know, is not here on earth, your reward is in heaven. And the Bible's very clear about storing up treasures uh, in heaven where where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves can't come in and steal them. God is holding those treasures for you for a day of eternity, amen? You know, bodies are made up of lots of parts, and like I said, and every part has to do its bit. If not, the body doesn't function in a way that it should, and, and this is really critical. You know, if you have a part of your body that's not functioning, you know, even down to a common cold, you know how the body starts to react. It starts to feel drowsy. It starts to feel dysfunctional. And if the body of Christ is not working as it should because not every part is working, then the body is affected. The whole body is affected because it means there's a strain in every area. See, such a time as this, we need to stand up and every part do its bit. I think that's so important, just like a healthy, natural body. So um, God's house should be a healthy, supernatural um, place of being. Amen. So again, the second thing is do your best. Do your best with what God has given you. Don't look at others, but ask God, what can I do for you, Lord? And then in Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6, we see Nehemiah and the, uh, and the people having to deal with this thing that I think in life we, we have to deal with a lot, and that's distraction, oppression, and attack. You know, you can read these um, in, in full in, in Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6, but um, in Nehemiah 6, um, well, this is Nehemiah's response. It's absolutely brilliant. Nehemiah six is a very well-known uh, bit of scripture. But so, so Nehemiah is being distracted by by um, these other guys. He's trying to tell him to come down. In fact, they're also trying to attack them. And, and there's a moment where he's got his guys with a tool in one hand fixing and a weapon in the other. But they they they're just continuing in the work. And he says this in Nehemiah six two to three. Sam Ballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Onu. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And that was his heart. He understood, number one, that they were scheming. He had an ability to discern that because he was close to God. He wasn't a fool. But what I love is that he wasn't willing to stop. He wasn't willing to let... The voices of distraction take him away from what god had asked him to do because in such a time as this we cannot allow the things of this world to distract us away from what god is asking us to do and that's the third and final point that i have for us today don't be distracted by the world's pull it's easy for it to happen because we live in a world that is knocking on our door every day but listen to this 2 Timothy Two verses 4 to 5 say this, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. See, we've not been called to follow the world's ways. We've not been called to get involved with its affairs where they're just now we're living their ways, living in those. We've not been called to that. We've been called to serve God and serve his ways. Another really good verse I love is 2 Corinthians 6:14. It says this, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what, does, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And I love that. I think it's really important because you know what? To be yoked, means to be joined you know to have a yoke upon you joined with the world and you're following in the ways of the world you're joining in with the ways of the world you're acting as they do and you're being a part of everything they're doing now we've been called to to the world not to be part of it but to be a light into it and i think this is important It, it it you know sometimes we'll need to be where darkness is but we're not meant to join in with it and become like it. We're meant to shine our light into the darkness, so the darkness is overcome. Matthew five thirteen to sixteen says this: You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do, light, do people put a lamp and um, put a light. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Amen. See, we are for such a time as this. We are called to be a light into the world. We're called to allow everything God has in us to shine before the world. See, if we lock ourselves away and pretend that the world's not there and yet God, me and God have got this good, this is great, yet I'm not being distracted by the world, no, no, this is great, but actually we're not even affecting the world. Our light should affect those around us. Those people in darkness, there'll be some that need your light, that need your word of encouragement, that need your act of kindness, that need something from you. It may not be a physical thing, it may just be words, but there's a world in darkness that needs the love and light of God. But we are not called to become like them but we are called to bring them out of their of their darkness into their into god's light amen so that's the third and final point that i have for you is don't be distracted by the world's pull. if we are going to respond well in such a time as this we cannot allow the world's pull to overcome us you know we haven't been called you know as, as a as a as a church As the body of Christ to go and build a big wall like Nehemiah. You know, wherever you are watching this, your city, your town, your village, uh, I hope you haven't got from this that you need to go out and build a big wall because that's not what I'm trying to say. But we are on the edge. I really believe this, family church. We are on the edge of a harvest that's coming that's going to be a move of God that actually we need to be prepared for. And I believe God is saying, get ready. Just like Nehemiah was ready to build that wall and he had a team of people. I believe God is saying, get ready, get ready for what is around the corner because God's going to make it happen and move. But we need to be positioned in a place and responding, ready to say, God, come on, I'm here. We need to have strength in order to have a greater harvest. We need to have strength in all the teams. So whether you are a part of Family Church or you're listening as a visitor you know, and you go to another church, whatever it may be, whatever position, you may be part of the online church, um, family church online, and, and you're listening in, you know, whatever it may be, we need to strengthen, you know, maybe it's something that you need to do is to get involved with the connect group online and join in with Pastor Sarah and the team. And maybe that's a stand that you need to say that you want to position yourself to be discipled in a greater depth. We have to have a heart that says, come on, I'm in, I'm all in and I'm ready. My response is, here I am, just like Nehemiah's crew. Come on, we're here, ready to go. And like I say, I believe we're on the edge of something big, but we need to get ready now. That when that harvest comes, we're ready to disciple and equip. See, if we're not ready, we will never be able to be ready to disciple and equip those that are coming in, if we ourselves aren't ready to do that. We need to have the right response and we need to stand and say, I love the words that Isaiah, and I want to leave you with these words. Let these be the words that you carry. Isaiah 6 verse 8, this is the moment he's called as a prophet. God is um, looking to see who could go. And this is what he says. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then this is Isaiah's response. And I said, here I am, send me. Come on, this is the response we wanna have in our generation. Here I am, God, send me. Send me to my neighbor. Send me to my work colleagues. Send me to the guy at the bus stop. Send me to the person in the shops. Send me, Lord, for such a time as this because there is a move of God about to happen across the face of the earth that we need to have our hearts responding to God that says, yes, the world's not gonna pull me. Yes, there's gifts within me. And Lord, yes, you can use them and I'm gonna do whatever I can to to serve your purposes. Amen. But I'm also, number one, going to lay my life down. I'm going to step away from what's comfortable, and I'm going to step in to being a living sacrifice. Come on. I'm really believing that across family church and, you know, wherever you're listening from, that God is going to move in such a way upon your life that your heart will be pouring out to say, yes, I'm ready, Lord. Fantastic. Well, I hope you've been encouraged with what I've shared today. You have a great week. Take care.